Good morning, Warren Church. How you guys doing? Peachy. I am glad. We are smack dab in the middle of a series on the book of Hosea. Um, I'll tell you, um, it's just, uh, this is something God's kind of been percolating in my heart and my life for months now. Uh, just going through this little book. And um, uh, we, lo- we learned last week that this little book, that God has feelings too. That just like you and me, He has feelings. And um, when we substitute for Him something else or someone else, that God gets angry. That if your spouse substituted for you something else or someone else, you would be angry, right? Well, God gets angry too. Um, And we're going to get a little bit of context of where we were at last week by looking at Hosea chapter 1 verse 2, page 679 in the One Church Bible. And this is what it says. God tells Hosea to do something a little different. He says, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute. By the way, if this is your first time at One Church, welcome. Good morning. Bless your heart. Um, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate, so this has a point, God asking Hosea to do this. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other, what is that next word? God. Is that a big G or a little G? Little G. See, there's only one big G, big God. But Israel wanted to be like all their other neighbors, and they wanted to kind of keep up with the Joneses, especially when it comes to the religion department. And they worshiped all of these other gods. We call them idols. And they called them idols as well. That just as Gomer substituted for Hosea other lovers, Israel had substituted for God other little g gods. And that made God angry. It hurt his feelings. The Israelites, God's people, chose to substitute big God for little idols and their substitution was idolatry. It was wrong. They had substituted something for God in God's place and they had made God second, third, fourth, or fifth, or sixth in their priorities. The word idol is used about seven times in the book of Hosea. But he also uses other words that means idols as well. Look at Hosea chapter 2, verse 5, and see if we can find them. It says this. Their mother, this is God talking about Israel, their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water and for clothing and wool and linen and for olive oil and for drinks. What, 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 what they're saying is, I'm looking for something to satisfy me. That may be food and water. And they, were, they were wanting, they wanted to be satisfied to be fulfilled with their other idols. They wanted to take joy from their other idols. And here they call them the idols lovers. Um, they were, God's people were substituting for God all of this stuff, food and water and clothing and wool. And you're thinking, well, silly Israelites, well, why would you want to you know, substitute, spend all of your time getting food and getting water? That, that doesn't really you know, work well. But clothing? I mean, the, 
nobody wants to wear X brand. They want this brand. You see, just as we spend our time and our life pursuing other things and revolving our life around other things, that really becomes idolatry to us. When we start forming our self-esteem and basing who we are and what we do on the things that a status or things that we purchase, whatever stimulates us, whatever excites us, gives us joy and happiness in life, God's saying, I want that part of your life. I'm the only one who wants to give you joy and happiness. it, It needs to come from me. You see, an idol is what you build your life around. An idol is what you build your life for. It's what you spend your money on. And God's saying, don't substitute for me anything else. Alfred Adler talks about four specific idols. That really, he talks about all addictions, all codependencies, all anxiety, all sin, boils down to these one of four idols. And we're going to go through these idols this morning. And I want you, as we describe them, we're going to be watching video clips. But as we, as we kind of describe these and unearth these and blow the dust off, that you're able to say, yeah, that's what I'm struggling with. That's me. And I want you to just kind of, let's go through this. But let's look at the first one, approval. Approval. Approval is where we build your sense of self and identity on getting approval and affirmation and attention from other people. When people recognize you. When they see you and you go, wow, that, you did a great job on that. Attaboy, good job. When we build our life around getting other people's approval, that can become an idol. Um, and when we don't get that approval, we get angry. And many times, the people who have this struggle with approval, and they want approval, is they don't tell people the hard things. Because if they do, they're no longer going to get their approval. get to the place that you thought would make you happy and you discover it doesn't. Or the emptiness happens when you continually strive to get to that place and don't quite reach it. It's two different kinds of emptiness, but it's emptiness nevertheless. I remember in my early years as a pastor, my drive to preach the best sermon every week I possibly could and I would have people come up to me after the sermon saying oh that was great Pete how are you going to top that next week and I would just like oh no and I would be working all week long and all day Saturday and I'd be there late Saturday night and early Sunday morning and and I was just dying and so at the core of who I was it was really about people thinking highly of me and just feeding off that Attention. There was one basketball game when I scored 52 points, and I was the best player on the court that night. And I remember going back in the locker room and people patting me on the back and getting changed and going out, and everything was still the same as it was before I scored 52 points. And I thought, it isn't as good as I thought it would be. It didn't meet the need that I felt I had. And so I needed to find something that was, or someone that was you see when we chase after approval it's never going to be enough there's never enough accolades 
I mean, when somebody says, great job, you, you hit one out of the park, how long does that feeling last? 20 minutes? If you're married, 10? How long does it last? How much fame is enough? If anybody had enough fame, it would probably have been George Harrison of the Beatles. Y'all remember the Beatles, right? George Harrison, reflecting on his life right before he died, said this. When you've had all the experiences and met all of the famous people and made all of the money and toured all of the world and got all of the acclaim in the end, you think to yourself, is that it? Approval, when you seek to get your life and build your life on getting other people's approval, you are emptier than before. That may be yours. It may not be yours. What about power? People who want power, it's never enough. It never truly satisfies. People who want power, they want, they want to win by any means necessary. They want success. They want to be on top. You have to have influence over other people. And underneath this, this, this power trip, if you will, there's just boiling anger. They're very ambitious people. But anger doesn't satisfy. It's exhausting having to succeed. And uh, what I didn't realize is, uh, is that was my focus for so long, and that was my drive for so long. I, I had just worn myself out. When I was a little guy and people asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, at first, it was a fireman, um, and then it was a policeman. Um, but then around 10 or 12, my answer became very different. Every time someone asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said the same thing. I said, I want to be best and they would look at me and say the best at what and I would say I don't care it doesn't matter I just want to be the best at something you know when your motivation is power in winning and success the only way for you to win is for other people to lose and you become a workaholic that you make just you build your self-esteem in who you are around what you do. Guys, you build your self-esteem and who you are around what you do and how much you can conquer and how much power. And in the end of your life, you're going to have nobody around you because power and your sense of just wanting to hold on to it breeds paranoia. And you don't trust people. Well, what about comfort? If comfort is your idol, you, your whole idea is you want to escape from suffering. You want to get away from hard times. And it doesn't sound too bad, but many times when, when comfort is your idol, you run to pleasure-related sins because your life is bored. You are bored with your life. This next video is Brian Head Welch from um, the band Corn, And listen to what he has to say about what he ran to when it came to to go into comfort idols. Listen. That's where drugs can creep in and, you know, cocaine or whatever, methamphetamines crept in. and It all came from after drinking for me and, and my friends until, and I thought I was going to be happy, but uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't stay sober. I didn't know how. 
I hit rock bottom. I had swore that I would never do methamphetamines again. <coughs> I ended up with a everyday crippling addiction to methamphetamine and everything that I said about my ex-wife came true for me. I sunk to the lowest gutter I could ever think of. I would spend time with my kid and I'd still be on it because I needed it to function. I'd get up in the morning, have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and snort meth and then take her to school or whatever. It was just, I it was a junkie. I started losing my mind. This guy would show up at my house with like a gun and stuff. And then I ran out in Europe, had my drug dealer just crazy. send me drugs through through the mail. I'd be tweaked out in my hotel room watching this package come from the U.S. It was just nuts. My life just was like spinning out of control. Janaea had come out on, a, on one of the tours in the U.S. I just remember me. her skipping around the house She's singing one of our corn songs called Adidas. All day I dream about sex. And I'm like going, what am I doing? I'm a junkie. My daughter's singing All Day I Dream About Sex. And uh, I'm going to die. Many times people that were comfort as their idol, they run to different pleasure-related sins. They run to food, alcohol, pornography, shopping. I mean, all of these things, they run there because they want to get away from pain. They want to get away from the pain inside that just they, and they try to satisfy it, they try to cool it down, and it never, never does happen. They try to escape from life. One of the things we've been doing in this series is you can go to our website, exitonechurch.org, and slash unfaithful, and you can share what you've substituted for God. Listen to what a couple of people have already written on that website. They said this, I've substituted for God a lot of things in my life, but to sum it all up, my various substitutions really are two words, instant gratification. That's comfort. Another person says this, it is so easy for anything tangible or loud to take over my attention and affection. Entertainment of any type, TV, movies, going out to eat, shopping, easily takes priority over God. I can feel His presence, but I have a tendency to drown Him out with noise so that the conviction will go away. Entertainment is one of my many golden calves, which that's an idol. That is comfort. For you, that, it, it may not be comfort. It may be the last one, and it may be control. If, if your idol is control, you have to control every little detail of your life. Not just your life, but you've got to control your spouse's life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've got to control your children's life. If you could just get your children to behave. If you could get your spouse to act right, if you could get your finances in order, if you could control everything and anything about your life, everything would be good. But let me tell you where you have a problem. I can already tell you, if control is your idol, you have a tendency to worry. It gnaws at your gut. I want you to look at this next video. Her, her name is Ashley. And I want you to count the, the many times she says the word control. Let's watch. I think there's a lot of pressure on any girl. They're bombarded with images every day of what is supposed to be perfect. I just felt awful about myself. I felt like if I couldn't control what I was eating, I didn't have anything else that I could control. I grew up in, in a small town. We had two things. We had football 
and the Miss Brokenbow pageant. And I remember going to this pageant with my parents every year, and these girls just seemed untouchable. I mean, I just remember idolizing these girls on the stage and thinking, someday I'm going to do that. <coughs> my senior year, it was my last shot. I was expected to win it. On Monday morning, on my way to school, I would buy five apples. And I would put them in my locker, and at lunchtime, I'd sit in a classroom by myself while everyone else was eating lunch. I wasn't perfect, and I needed to be perfect, and for months, that is all that I ate. I thought other people perceived us as perfect, and I think that's the image that we tried to portray. And so we didn't talk about problems, not to other people. I grew up in a very, very strict home, very controlling, high expectations. If anyone is going to put us on the map, it's going to be Ashley. I went on to win the pageant. I was just trying so hard to please. Every time I messed up and ate something, I shouldn't eat huge amounts of guilt, because that what all of this was for. I felt horrible losing control. I didn't know what was next. I wanted to make people happy. I was in a lot of pain and just felt like this perfect life that I had had, thought I'd had, was changing. And I felt like everything in my life was spinning out of control. Everything spinning out of control. Do you relate to any of those stories? Which one of these idols, these four really root idols, do you struggle with? Because whichever one you struggle with, we're going to look at the end today of how you can fix that and how God, you can allow God to fix that in you. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 5, Israel and Gomer are saying, I'm going to run after other lovers. I'm going to look, I'm going to substitute something else for God in my life, and I'm going to get my satisfaction from someone or something else. So as she runs after other lovers, look at verse 6. God starts speaking, and he says this. For this reason, I will fence her in with, what's that next word? Thorn bushes. I will, what's that next word? Block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. Some of you, this is your life verse. You feel like, how come you, you, everywhere you turn, you're blocked? Everywhere there's thorn bushes all around you. And the reason why God has lovingly put them there so that you can run nowhere else but to Him. Because when you try to substitute something for God, God's saying, no. I, I created you to have a relationship with me. And when you try to satisfy that thirst and hunger in your life that can only be satisfied with me, and you try to satisfy it with other lovers, other idols, other substitutes, they will not satisfy. Look at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 15. It says, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Trouble, when used by God, becomes a doorway and a gateway to hope. Think about your past week. Think about areas where you've been stressed or worried. Do you feel like you've been thwarted or you've been blocked off? It could be that the reason why your week has been so rough is because God has put blocks in your way. He's put speed bumps in your way so that you will stop going and pursuing that idol, comfort, approval, 
power, control, and we will start pursuing the God who created us. God lovingly puts blocks and thorn bushes and paths and hedges so that we will lose our way. And many of you, you're like, man, I've lost my way. I am here, and the reason why I'm here today is I feel like I am, I am everywhere I turn, I hit a cul-de-sac. Everywhere I turn, I hit a dead end, and I feel like somebody is blocking my path. And the answer is, you're right. He is. Because no other person, no other thing in your life can truly satisfy you like God. Like God. If you are building your life, your identity around something else, where you're taking joy and satisfaction from something else besides God, God is going to shake you and He's going to try to wake you up because we were all meant to worship something. Y'all know what I'm talking about? We were all made to worship something, that we, and we can choose to worship something, and you know what? What happens with that is death will take place, and we will lose our way, and we will be blocked, and we will have hedges and thorn bushes, and we'll keep on pricking our fingers, and man, how come things aren't going any better at work, and how come things aren't getting any better in my marriage? And God said, I'm over here. Come over, to, come over here to me. Because all of those things, they're nothing wrong with any of those things, but they can't satisfy you. They can't satisfy you. And that leads us to our big idea. Substitutes don't satisfy. Everybody say that out loud. Substitutes don't satisfy. One of the first things we see is that anytime you try to substitute for God someone or something... They will not satisfy. And you will go through your entire life and you're going to, just as that verse said in verse 7, you're going to lose your way. And you're going to be blocked. And you think, man, I've changed jobs four times and it seems like nothing's changed. I keep on meeting idiots at my job. And they're just, they're idiots. And you've done that for six jobs. Maybe it's not them. Maybe God is over here saying, hello, I'm over here. You're trying to build your life around a status, around a job, around approval. And you just never do get it. You keep on reaching and longing, but it never, ever happens. That's what verse 7 says. Look at this. When she runs after her other lovers, she won't be able to catch up with them. She will search for them and will not find them. That is, again, the story of some of your life. You, you've bought cars, you've bought boats, you've bought summer homes, you've bought houses, you've bought new wives, you, you've got rid of your old husbands, and you've got new husbands, and you're still miserable. The reason why is you can't get joy and satisfaction from any of those things. Now, is there anything wrong with any of that? No. But there is something wrong when we choose to substitute that stuff for God. God needs to be the number one priority in our life. Always. So, I'm going to keep on reading verse 7. When she runs after other lovers, she won't be able to catch up with them. When she'll search for them, she won't be able to find them. So then she starts thinking, I might as well return to my husband because I was better off with him than I am. I might as well return. Return. Everybody say the word return. That is really the big, the big theme of the book of Hosea. It happened, that word occurs 16 times in the book of Hosea. And God's saying, listen, 
when Israel, God's people, and Christians, when you guys, all of us, when we choose to return to God, God is always there with open arms. Because Hosea was always there with open arms. Hosea was continually unfaithful. Continually unfaithful. But anytime she turned from her other lovers and she came back to Hosea, Hosea always welcomed her back. So let's look at the different fixes, cures of approval. Let's, uh, let's look at all of these. We've talked about approval, but really approval at the heart is a worship issue. You see, if, if approval is your God, then you don't want anybody else to get the glory. You want to be worshipped. There's a problem with that. Who is the only person who's worthy to be worshipped? This is church. You should be able to get that answer. Uh, let's say that one. Who is the only person worthy to be worshipped? God. And see, the reason why I love that song that we just sang, you are the God of my story, write every line for your glory. You see, what's so awesome about that is all of us, we think, the reason why approval is our idol is because we think we're the main character of our story. I mean, we go through our life, we're writing our own autobiography. And it's about me. It's about you. Because we're, I mean, when you look at it from stuff from your viewpoint, you're automatically, well, it's, it's all about me, right? There's a problem with that. It's not supposed to be an autobiography. It's supposed to be about Jesus. Always about Jesus Christ. You see, it's His story. It's His story that we're writing. It's His glory that we're writing. And that is really the huge... So the fix, if approval is your idol, you need to spend some time looking at the bigness of God and worshiping Him. Listen to what Pete says about that. Christ is first in my life because He is magnificently first in everything. And it's simply my recognition of who He is. He is first because he's better than me at everything. Anything I can try to do, he can do it better. He's first because he passionately loves me. And there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. There's nothing I can do to make him love me less. He loves me perfectly right now. So he is first in my life because he's passionately crazy about me. Whether I'm doing well or not, whether I'm performing beautifully or not, whether I just sin miserably or not, he's nuts about me. He's crazy about me. How can someone like that not be first? When, when, they, when they make you first, he made me first in his life. He went to the cross for me. He thoroughly sacrificed himself for me. He made me first. And when I come to grips with that depth of love, with his passion for me, um, it seems incongruent to allow anything else to be first. He's got to be first. I'm Pete Briscoe, and I am second. Really, the fix for people who approval is their God is you've got to regularly spend some time worshiping God. And hear me, I'm not just talking about mouthing your gums. That's easy. It's where you focus on the bigness of God and you bring Him glory. And that's more than just kumbaya. That's, that's more than just that. 
It's you live your life making God the, the, the center of your story or you write every line for His glory. You live your life like God is the main character. You live your life like He is the only love in your life and He is the only one you please in your life and to heck with everybody else. You make God first in your life and you put your idol of approval second. That's what's going to... Listen to how one person says about approval. There's a struggle with approval on the Exit One website. It says this, The thing that I've substituted for God in other, is other people's opinion of me. I worry about what people think of me. What will they think if I'm putting on a show, if I fall on my knees during worship? I shouldn't care what others are thinking. I should only be thinking of what Jesus thinks of me. So I'm going to try and stop worrying about what others may think. I'm going to do what I feel in my heart and what I know Jesus wants me to do. I need to love Him fully instead of worrying about what others think. I need to worry how He would feel if He were standing beside me because I know He's there. You see, the fix for approval, if it's your idol, is that you live for an audience of one. That's it. Um, what about comfort? Excuse me. What about um, what about uh, what about the whole power thing? I, I skip one. I want to talk about power. If power is your issue and you want to succeed and win and win, and how you how you get power is you take power from other people. So the cure for power is to give power away. Now, how do you do that? You serve. You serve. You, you actively serve people who can do nothing for you, who can't further your career, further reputation. You serve. Let me tell you how I've seen this played out, uh, played out practically. There's a church in Chicago called Willow Creek Community Church. A great church. One of their values is really one church's values where everybody, if they have a relationship with Jesus, that everybody should have a place to serve. There's a fellow by the, uh, Will, who's, his name is Bill Hybels. He's the pastor there. And in one of the conferences, they had this multi-million dollar, the CEO of this multi-million dollar company come up whose GNP was a whole lot bigger than mine and a whole lot bigger than Bill's. And you know what this dude did who's the CEO of this company? He cleaned toilets for the church. How humbling is that? That's pretty humbling. Clean toilet. And, he, and this is what I loved what Bill said. He says, you know what, that person doing that job is no more important than what I do on Sunday morning when I'm up here talking. Because we're both where God wants us to be. We're both serving. And it doesn't matter where you serve as long as you serve. And some of you who powers your struggle, you don't need to serve up here because it's just a power trip. You need to go serve and you need to go change some diapers. You know what I'm saying? You need to go get your hands dirty. You need to just clean up the, the, the dishes after work. After your, your husband or your wife, they just, you know, they've cooked it. You clean it. You need to serve behind the scenes. And it may be here at one, it may be here at one church. Babies set up and tear down, running cords. These are all jobs that are so vital. But they're, they're not jobs that you're in front of people that really kind of gets you, you know, because it's just a power trip. That's a great way of fixing that. You give power away by serving. By serving. Okay? M maybe, maybe it's this. Maybe yours is comfort. What's going on with comfort? You're trying to, to, to get away from, from remove yourself from suffering. 
You're trying to put a buffer between you and hard times. You try to escape your little indulgences. Father? My uh, real estate broker, Eric, he, uh, he said, Brian, I don't mean to be weird with you. I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I, I felt the scripture like jump out at me. I've never done this before, you know, so I don't really know how to do this, but I felt like this would mean something to you. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I remember all tweaked out. I looked up in the dictionary, weary. I looked up burdened, and I just I pulled the scripture apart, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm weary and burdened, and I need rest for my soul. And uh, I didn't know if it was real, but the, you know, they invited me to church a couple couple weeks later, and I received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter, got it all smooth and powdery. Jesus, you got to take these drugs from me. Search me right now. Search my heart. Father, I felt so much fatherly love from from heaven, and it was like, I don't condemn you. I love you. I love you. It was just love, love, and instantly, that love from God came into me. It was so powerful that the next day I threw away all my drugs, and uh, I quit corn. I was like, I'm quitting corn, and I'm gonna raise my kid. My dream came true way more than I dreamt about. I, got, I made more money. I played bigger shows. I mean, houses, cars. I tried drugs. I tried sex. I tried everything to try to get pleasure out of this life. And I thought that I could fulfill my life with all this stuff by, by having my dream come true. And it came true. But it didn't fulfill it. When Christ came in, that feeling, he gives you the <coughs> gift of understanding life, which is everything was created for Christ and by him, and we we're created to be with him. And it's the most incredible feeling because you're where you belong. And contentment is given to you in life because you don't have to look anywhere else. I'm Brian Head Welch, and I'm second. What's going on with approval is that we all have a tendency to run, if approval is your God, to run to your little areas of, of indulgence. It may be food. It may be shopping. It may be a website. It may be um, just something that will put some buffer between you and the pain that you're feeling inside. So the only antidote that I know for, for the whole issue of comfort is is kind of a biblical word. I want to exp I want to give you the definition then I'll talk about it. It's giving up that secret indulgence. The biblical word for that is fasting. It's where you give up that secret indulgence. Now something just need, they're just they're toxic. They need to be given up anyway. Some things like shopping, there's nothing wrong with shopping unless you make that your kind of avenue of getting satisfaction. Now see the guys you're just hearing me and you're saying, "Honey, did you hear him say shopping is evil?" Okay? 
I'm not just talking about ladies. Because see, me, my issue, uh, mine is is the comfort thing. I don't go shopping for clothes, as y'all can probably tell, or shoes. Um, you know, mine. Uh, when I we early on in our marriage, um, I would spend money and I would go to half price books, and I would just go buy books, books. It, it, and for guys, it may be tools for you. Come on now. Um, it, what are you constantly justifying to your wife? It may be a video game. Come on now. Uh, a friend of mine here at one church recently showed me how you can put the PS3 online. And I have constantly, the past week and a half, justified this to my wife. And it hasn't been good, has it, baby? See? And you know what? Sometimes, you know what? Nothing wrong with video games, guys. Thank you. <laughs> but hear me. If video games, if you're substituting for God video games, then there's something wrong with it. For some of you, you're like, man, I got a Wii. You got the PS3, Pastor? I got a Wii. Ain't nothing wrong. And the Wii is an exercise. You're not doing this, you know. I got even got the Wii Fit. You know, you step up on it, you know. It's exercise, right? And you're justifying it. Some of you are going, you know, I, I, even, I even got a Wii injury, right? Some of you need to go to rehab. All right? But you know, if that's what you're spending all of your time on, and you're substituting for God something else, maybe you need to get a wee fast. Whatever, that, that, that thing, that little indulgence. What about control? Control, the issue is you're wanting to take control from God. You're wanting to micromanage people. You want to micromanage God, and you want everything under your control. Man, we heard from Ashley earlier, just her, her wanting to control her food intake. Let's continue her story. When I was at that low point, God just guided me to pick up my Bible. What I needed was for Him to just grab me and say, you know, I've got this. I've got you. And I'm in control, and you don't have to be anymore. I wish I could say that it was so easy to walk away from that life and that I felt completely normal. I still struggled a lot for a lot of years, but he made it easier every day until I finally got to the point um, where I, I felt like I could say, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm okay. I'm Ashley, and I am second. What is the cure for control? The cure for control is one simple thing that's not simple to do, and that is prayer. It's praying. You're thinking, what? Philippians 4, 6 says, says it this way. Don't fret or worry. Instead, what does it say? Pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And how often do you have to pray if control is your idol? About once every second. Did you know what you do? You do kind of what I do sometimes. You, okay, God, I trust you with this. Oh, let me have that back, please. Thank you very much. 
God, you know, I trust you with my business. Oh, yeah, I'm going to need that back. Thank you very much. And we spend sleepless nights trying to micromanage something that we really can't control. So we have to pray. Here's the great thing about it is when we turn from our idols, God is always there with open arms. He is always there. I want to read this last passage of Scripture and then we're done. Hosea 2.14 says, Therefore, this is God talking about Israel, the people who have substituted for God other things. Therefore, I'm going to call her. I'm now going to allure her. That word means to call or to sing or to win her back. I'm going to win her back. Once again, I'm going to lead her out into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will allure her. I will call her. I will sing to her. That's exactly what Hosea did to Gomer, that his wife who just kept on going to prostitution. She would, have, she would go off. She would turn tricks. She would have children from other men. And every time Hosea came back and won her back, we're going to talk a lot about that next week in chapter 3. But won her back, sang to her, allured her back. And that's what God does to us and for us when we turn from our lovers, turn from our idols, turn from our approval, comfort, control, power, and we run to Him. He is always there with open arms. Always there. So one of the things I want us to do as we close down, I want to encourage you to go to two websites. I want you to go to exitonechurch.org slash unfaithful and I want you to just answer some questions. What have you substituted for God? What have you loved more than God? We're going to be uh, putting out a newsletter this week of all of the, uh, the, the responses we've had at this point. We've had about 20 to 30. But if you hadn't done that, do that. It's, it's, you know what? It's totally anonymous. You can put your name, your initials, or email or you don't have to put anything. And there's been some doozies of people, what people have said. But every one of these videos that we looked at is from a website called IamSecond.com. IamSecond.com. And that, that website really talks about people just like you and me who struggle with putting things before God and substituting for God and how the things that they substituted for God really hasn't satisfied. Because they never do. They will leave us hungrier and thirstier, but they don't satisfy. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, Lord, I, I thank you so much for this little book of Hosea, of how, Lord, it's in this book that we realize that you have feelings too, that you love us, that you are madly in love with us. And, Lord, that you are not mad at us, but that you are mad for us. And, Lord, I thank you so much that your love knows no logic, knows no bounds for your gave you gave your one and only son Jesus Christ so that we can have a relationship with you that Lord the things that we put before you that sin that idolatry that person that stuff Lord that you are a God of justice and there had to be a payment for that and Lord you took your anger and you put it all on Jesus Christ and Lord, it's because you did that with Jesus Christ that we can have a relationship with you this morning if we would believe and trust in you. And that, Lord, that we would return to you and turn from all of the stuff that we've tried getting our satisfaction from. Because those substitutes, Lord, just don't satisfy. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.